Well, good morning, church family. It's so good to be with you this morning. I'd invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. That's where we're going to be this morning. If you're wondering where 1 Samuel is, it's uh, in the Old Testament near the beginning, right after Deuteronomy. Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 20 is where we are going to be today. Uh, before we get there, I do want to take just a moment um, to tell you some exciting news. This week, we got the roof replaced on our church. Praise God. And uh, just in time, too, because we got to test the roof out a little bit this morning. And so, uh, praise God, so far, no leaks, right? So it sounds like they've done a good job. And I, I want to do this really quickly. Um, there are a number of individuals who were key in, in getting the insurance time in, making sure we got this roof taken care of. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to embarrass them. But church, I would just ask you, would you just show them your appreciation this morning? And for those who were involved in it, you know who you are. Know that we appreciate all the work you put into it and the way you faithfully serve Lord through that. We are so thankful for you um, and keeping literally the roof over our heads. So we, we appreciate that and we thank you for that. Uh, this morning, this week and next week, we're going to be doing a two-week study on allegiance. Today we're going to look at this question of where does your allegiance lie, and next week we're going to look at this, um, we're going to look at a king who is worthy of our allegiance. And as we get started this morning, um, here's what I want us to kind of consider. Daily, we are giving our allegiance to different people, movements, or things. Daily in your decision making, you are giving your allegiance somewhere. And what I want to do is, first, I want us to start on a small scale with this idea, and then I want us to take it to a larger scale. So let's start with it on a small scale here real quick. Okay, you daily are giving your allegiance to something. And you might be saying, like what? Well, let's give this for example, right? So think about this. Marvel, DC. Do we have any Marvel fans in the room? Do we have any DC fans in the room? Right? So I don't particularly have a horse in this race. Right? But there are some people who are very, very loyal to either Marvel or DC, right? Like, like you get mad if we start talking about different characters or if we start, like, crossing over the universes, right? If, like, some of you, if I were to say, man, I just really loved Spider-Man in the new Superman movie, like, it would, like, cause you to cringe, right? Let, let's, let's think of it on another example. Apple ecosystem versus Android. Do we have any Apple users in the house? Right? Any Android people in the house? Obviously, I'm an Apple person. I've got an iPad, an Apple Watch, an iPhone, right? But, like, we have these allegiances to where we're like, and, and we've, heard, we've heard all the stories, right? Like, Apple, I just love Apple products because they all work, right? I've got them all together, and they, like, work seamlessly. And then, obviously, on the other side, you've got Android people who are like, no, Android, though, you can do so much more with Android, right? And we're like, those really aren't those big of deals, though, right? But here's the reality. You know how we know those allegiances run deep in our hearts and in our lives? And I say this, I confess this as an Apple user. I will leave people out of group messages if they're going to change the color of the text, right? Like, we do that. Okay, how about, how about, how about this one? Toilet paper. Over versus under. Over, under. Right? Okay, so as a, I remember as a teenage boy, maybe an adult man, I don't remember which point, but I remember one point thinking, man, I've grown up so much, I'm going to replace the toilet paper 
at the toilet because I've used the rest just to find out I had done it wrong, right? Because we all believe it's either over or under. Okay, how about this one? We're in Oklahoma. We know this one runs deep. OU versus OSU, right? We know these allegiance run deep here in Oklahoma, right? Because there are people, yeah, I know, right? Okay. So there are people in this room, right? There are people you will avoid entire color palettes so as not to be associated with the other team, right? Like I am convinced that hell will freeze over before we see Kerry Rice and OSU Orange. Like, like we have these allegiances, right? And if we're honest, right, okay, these are on small scales. And if we're honest, we say, okay, at the end of the day, I know that that isn't actually like where my heart lies, where my life lies. Maybe for some of us in the OU OSU, it might, right? But we understand those are our allegiance on small scales. But here's the deal. All the time, every day, we are giving our allegiance towards different things. We choose these people, these movements, these things, or this way of doing something over another way because of what we believe in. Now, obviously, we've talked about it on a small scale, but the question I want us to consider this morning is this. Where does your allegiance lie? What are you giving your life to? Because, and this is the big idea for this morning, because here's the deal. Where you place your allegiance, listen to this church, it has huge implications for your future. So place your allegiance in a future that is sure. Where you place your allegiance, it has huge, it has eternal consequences for your life. So choose to place your allegiance in something that is sure. And this morning we're going to see an example of choosing allegiance in the life of a person named Jonathan. We're going to see this in 1 Samuel chapter 20 this morning. And so to kind of set up the text... Um, today's text is a narrative. It's a story, and there's three characters we're going to see in this story. The first character we're going to see is Saul. He's the first king of Israel. If we were to look earlier in 1 Samuel, we'd see that he is the king Israel had asked for because they wanted to be like all the other nations. He's the king who time and time again failed to be the king that God had called him to be. The second character we're going to see this morning is Jonathan, and he's really the focus. This is the character we're going to focus on this morning. And Jonathan, he's the son of Saul. He is the heir to the throne of Israel. And in 1 Samuel, what we see in Jonathan that we don't see in Saul is we see a faithfulness to God on Jonathan's part. But we also find Jonathan caught in a difficult place as the son of a rebellious king and as the best friend to the king-to-be, David. And that brings us to the third character we're going to see this morning. That is David, who we all know, right? He's the man after God's own heart. He's written many of the Psalms. He's the one who slew Goliath the giant, who's the one who God would give the promise to establish his throne forever. Interestingly enough, in this story this morning, David's going to play almost a background role which is very uncommon when we see David in the Old Testament because so often David is the hero. He's the protagonist of the story as this prototype or as this Messiah, this, uh, this protagonist figure in the Old Testament. And so here's the setup of the situation. We've got 
Saul, Jonathan, and David. And here's what's happening in the chapters just before this in 1 Samuel 20. The Spirit of God has departed from Saul. It's left Saul. Because it has become clear that David's the one whose throne God is going to establish. And in the chapters before this, listen to this. Saul has already made multiple attempts to take David's life as a threat to his throne. And in the chapter right before this, after Saul had made an attempt on David's life, he runs to his best friend Jonathan, and he tells Jonathan, my life's at risk, your father seeks my life. And in the chapters just before this, we have this story where Jonathan goes out into a field with his father, and he talks him down from killing David. He, he, he reasons with his father, and in the story right before this, Saul vows, he makes a promise, he takes an oath with Jonathan that he will not harm David. And so right before this, what happens is Saul and Jonathan, they've had this conversation. Saul said, you know what, you're right, Jonathan. David, no harm will come to him. I swear to you, no harm will come to him. And so Jonathan leaves the scene. And you know what happens right after Jonathan leaves the scene? Saul tries to kill David. He, tr he throws a spear at him, trying to pin him to the wall. And so David takes off running, and he escapes, and he comes to Jonathan. And this is where the story picks up today, and this is what we're going to look at in verses um, 1 through 42 of chapter 20. I know you're saying 42 verses. That's a lot of scripture. It's okay. I'll read and talk fast. So just listen up, right? Okay, and so as we read through the story, though, I want us to make three observations about Jonathan's allegiance. We're going to make three observations about Jonathan's allegiance as we work our way through this story. So let's start in chapter 20, verses 1 and following. It says this. Then David fleed from Neoth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan. So he comes to Jonathan and he says, what have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, this is Jonathan answering David. Far, be, far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. Remember, the very last conversation Jonathan had with his father, Saul is telling Jonathan, I will not harm David. I swear to you on my name, I will not try to take David's life. And here David is showing up saying, hey, your dad's trying to kill me. It says in verse 5, it says, and David said to Jonathan, or sorry, in verse 3, it says, but David vowed again, saying, your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. He knows that you love me, Jonathan. And he thinks, do not let Jonathan know, lest he be grieved. It says, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And so here, Jonathan is in a difficult situation because all of the sudden, his allegiance to his father, his allegiance to David as his best friend, it comes right into conflict. And so the question becomes, what is he going to do? It says, then Jonathan said to David in verse 4, whatever you say, I will do for you. It says, so David said to Jonathan, behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit at table with the king. It says, there's going to be a feast. I should be there for this feast with the king. It says, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field till the third day at evening. So let me be gone. He says, and if your father misses me at all, then say, 
David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, for this is a yearly sacrifice there for all the clan. It says, if he says, if Saul says, good, it will be well with your servants, but if he is angry, then know that harm is determined by him. It says, therefore, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. It says, but if there is guilt, if there is sin in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? In verse 9, and Jonathan said, far be it from you, if I knew that it was determined, if it was planned by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? It says, then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you roughly? It says, and Jonathan said to David, come, let us go into the field. So they both went out into the field. And so all of a sudden, Jonathan is faced with a difficult situation because his allegiance to his father as both his father and the king and the one whose throne he would inherit and his commitment and his allegiance to David is brought into direct conflict. And we have to ask ourselves, Jonathan has to ask himself, what is he going to do? And what we find in Jonathan is a commitment to find the truth and a commitment to David. And this leads us to the first observation I want us to make this morning. Let's look at, in verses 12 through 17, let's look at where Jonathan placed his allegiance. Where Jonathan placed his allegiance. It says in verse 12, And Jonathan said to David, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, says, Behold, if it is well, if he is well disposed towards David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan, and more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. He says, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. Verse 14, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die, and do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. It says, when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with David and with the house of David, saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him. It says, For he loved him as he loved his own soul. We see up the gate where Jonathan places allegiance. Jonathan enters into a covenant with David. Now, what's a covenant? Uh, oftentimes, I think we get covenants, uh, we get them confused with contracts. They're not the same thing. A, co- a covenant we can understand as a solemn promise. This is a solemn promise built on oaths or the words of each person to uphold their actions. It's not a contract. In a contract, a judge executes a term. In a covenant, it's built on the character and the willingness of each party to uphold their part. The closest instance we have to a covenant relationship would be the marriage relationship. Okay, now in the, in, in the day we live in, it on many time, in many ways has been turned into a contract, but the way the marriage relationship is meant to be is it's meant to be a covenant. When I think about my covenant with my wife, Bethany, I know that on August 25th of 2019, her and I gathered together in front of witnesses and we took vows. We made a solemn promise to one another to live together in a covenant relationship as man and wife, right? We t- and many of you, 
took those vows, right, in sickness and in health, right, in riches or in poorness and all those sorts of things. Now, now here's the difference between a covenant and a contract, though. So over the last few years, we've had this thing called COVID, right? Bethany has escaped it all these times. I've had it twice, okay? I've had it once with COVID pneumonia, and then I had it again, sick, dead dog sick for like weeks at a time, okay? And during that time, you know who took care of me? Bethany took care of me, right? In sickness and in health. She was fulfilling her vows, her promises to me that we entered into when we covenanted in a marriage relationship. Here's the difference between a covenant and a contract. Bethany did not have to do those things, but she did do those things because she said she would. And here's the big difference between a contract and a covenant. It's not a contract because if she had ignored me, if she had not taken care of me, if she not made me soup and kissed my boo-boos and all that sort of stuff, I could not have gone to a judge and say, hey, judge, this wife over here, she hasn't been taking care of me in my sickness. Right? I couldn't take that into court and expect the judge to say, oh, you're right. By the contract of your marriage, she must take care of you and make you soup and do all these sorts of things. Right? That's the difference between a covenant and a contract. A covenant, it's built on, it's a solemn promise. It's built on these two parties coming together and taking vows and oaths and saying, hey, as a part of this relationship, this is how I'm going to act. This is how I'm going to live. This is what I'm going to do because of the relationship we're entering into. And Jonathan enters into a covenant relationship with David right here in chapter 20. And in doing so, in entering into this covenant with David, Jonathan is placing his allegiance with David. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, why would Jonathan place his allegiance with David? Why would Jonathan place his allegiance with David when David being alive means he won't have the throne? Why would Jonathan place his allegiance with David over his own flesh and blood, his own father? And here's what I, see, I think we see. I think we see four reasons why Jonathan placed his allegiance with David. The first we see in verse 13, he recognized God's hand at work. Ultimately, what we see in Jonathan is a commitment to siding with whoever God is siding with. And listen, Jonathan, he recognizes that God is with David and is no longer with his father. We also see this. Jonathan, he believed the reality of David's coming kingdom in verses 14 through 16. Just as he recognized that God was with David, he also believed that God would cause victory on David's behalf and exercise judgment against David's enemies. He realized that David's kingdom was the one that would last and not his father's. So he recognized God's hand at work. He believed the reality of David's coming kingdom and wanting to be a part of that kingdom. And third, listen to this, church. He rooted his allegiance in love. It tells us this in verse 17. He made him swear by his love for one another because he loved him more than his own soul. In 1 Samuel 18, just a couple of chapters before this, we see this remarkable interaction where Scripture tells us that Jonathan's very soul was knit to David's. What we find between these two are a friendship, a commitment that's rooted in love 
for one another. And so we see where Jonathan placed his allegiance. He placed it with David, recognizing God's hand at work, believing the reality of David's coming kingdom, and rooting his allegiance in love. But let's keep reading. What do we see happen? It says, And Jonathan said to him, speaking to David in verse 18, Tomorrow is the new moon. It's the new month, he says, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. Tomorrow we're having Thanksgiving dinner, and you're going to be missed because you're supposed to be there, but your seat will be empty. It says in 19, on the third day, go down quickly to the place where you hid yourself when the matter was in hand and remain beside the stone heap. So there's this place you're going to hide. He says, and I will shoot three arrows to the side of it as though I shot at a mark. And behold, I will send the boy saying, go find the errors. If I say to the boy, look, the errors are on this side of you. Take them, then you are to come. For the Lord, as the Lord lives, it is safe for you and there is no danger. He says, but if I say to the youth, look, the arrows are beyond you. Then go, for the Lord has sent you away. And as a, for the matter of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. So they've made this plan. They're going to follow through with this plan so, uh, Jonathan's going to find out what Saul's thoughts are towards David, if he actually plans to kill David or not, right? And he's going to expose it by the way Saul responds to David not being at the feast that's about to happen. And so they've made this plan, okay? And so da Jonathan says, hey, David, once I know my father's thoughts towards you, what his plans for you are, I'm just going to go out to this field we're in. You hide behind this heap over here, right, this, this hill over here. Says, I'm going to shoot arrows. And depending on which side of the heap I shoot arrows on, you're going to know whether it's safe for you to come back or if you need to get out of town. Okay, so they made this plan. And here in this moment, in the following verses, 24 and following, they execute the plan. And they execute it perfectly. And in this moment, we see Saul's intentions are truly revealed. And this is where we can make our second observation. Because as the story progresses, we see how Paul, Saul responds to Jonathan in verse 30 and following. And in his response, here's what we see. We see a pressure towards Jonathan's allegiance. We saw where Jonathan placed his allegiance. Let's look at the pressure towards Jonathan's allegiance in verse 30 through 34. So they've carried out the story. Jonathan's told his dad, and here's how his dad responds in verse 30. It says, then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He was angry with Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Just for as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. He says, therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. He says, get that boy here so I can kill him. Verse 32 says, then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? He says, but Saul, this is how angry Saul is. Saul hurled his spear at Jonathan to strike him. He says, so Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. It says, and Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because, because his father had disgraced David. And here in this moment, in Saul's response, we see this pressure that Jonathan faces because of the allegiance to David. 
He pressures them in four ways. First, we see a, he's pressured with separation from family. In verse, the beginning of verse 30, no longer is Jonathan Saul's son, but he's this son of a perverse woman. There is instant separation from Jonathan to his father because of Jonathan's choice of allegiance. No longer is he addressed as a son, but as a son of a perverse woman. There is pressure. He is pressured with shame. Says Saul calls down shame upon Jonathan for choosing David over his own name, over his own kin. Pressured with separation from family, pressured with shame. He's pressured with loss of status. Verse 31, Saul points to the reality that Jonathan will not be king while David is alive. He says, you have no hopes of having a kingdom while this son of Jesse lives. He's pressured with loss of security. Saul points to the reality that Jonathan will not have an established kingdom, authority, or provision while David is still alive. And here we see Jonathan pressured over his allegiance in separation, shame, status, security, all these areas that oftentimes we feel pressure today. And what's amazing in this story at the end of verse 34, that instead of bending to these pressures, we actually see Jonathan maintain a commitment to David. Verse 34 tells us that he refused to eat with his father because of his grief over how Saul had shamed David. Listen to this. Jonathan recognizes that Saul's rejection is not a rejection of Jonathan, but a rejection of David. And so let's keep reading. What's going to happen now? What is Jonathan going to do? How is he going to respond? He's been responded to with pressure from his father. He's been given a command by his father to bring David so David can be put to death so that Jonathan can have his throne established. What is Jonathan going to do? It says in verse 35, it says, In the morning, Jonathan went out into the field to the appointment with David, and with him a little boy or a servant. And he said to his boy, Run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot an arrow behind him. And when the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called out after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? It says, And Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not stay. He's not, he's not giving this message for the boy. He's giving this message for David. Get out of here. Hurry, be quick, don't stay. Get away. So Jonathan's servant gathered up the arrows and came to his master, but the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, says David, rose from beside the stone heap. Says, and instead of running away, what does David do? He says, and he fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another. David weeping the most. In verse 42 here, we're going to make our final observation. And that's the follow through we see on Jonathan's part. We see Jonathan's proof of allegiance. Here he says in verse 42, then Jonathan said to David, go in peace. Because we have sworn, both of us, in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. It says, And he rose and departed, 
David rose and departed, it says, and Jonathan went into the city. And here in this moment, in this closing part of the chapter, we see Jonathan's proof of allegiance. We see proof through his action. Jonathan follows through with the plan to ensure that David can't escape. Not only does he follow through to ensure that David can escape, Jonathan goes to the point of disarming himself, of making himself completely vulnerable to David, who by all intents and purposes is his number one enemy because his father is against David. We see proof of Jonathan's allegiance through his acceptance of the cost. Jonathan, listen to this church, Jonathan accepted the reality that he would not be king. Jonathan accepted the reality that he had completely disobeyed his father by sending David away. Jonathan accepted what it would cost him to be faithful to David by, listening to this, returning to the city. He went out into that field as a son of the king. He returned to the city as one who had rebelled against the king his own father, by sending David away. He accepted the cost. And ultimately, we have the rest of the story for Jonathan. We know that it would cost him his life because eventually Jonathan would die in battle with his father. And we're reminded of something here. We're reminded that sometimes, church, our allegiance to Jesus is going to cost us. The question is, are we willing to lay down whatever he may ask us to lay down? But we can do so with joy knowing that ultimately Jesus, he laid down everything for us. And at the end of the day, Jonathan had to make a decision of which kingdom he would be about. Would he be about his father's kingdom and ultimately the building of his own kingdom? Or would he be about God's kingdom and is establishing it through David? What we find in Jonathan, listen to this church, is a commitment. It's an allegiance to God because he recognized God at work. He understood the reality of what was coming, and he responded out of love. David, of course, would not live forever. We know David has passed on. David has died. But we do recognize David as a picture in the Old Testament pointing us to Jesus. All throughout the Old Testament, David is not only a prototype or a picture of Jesus, this Messiah figure, but he is looked forward to as the one who would bring an even greater Savior than David was for the people of Israel. And listen, church, today we can live in the reality of the kingdom that has been established forever by Jesus. The promise given to Jonathan that David's kingdom would be established forever, that promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And so today we have that reality that Jesus' kingdom is being established. And listen to this, church. We have the invitation to lay aside our allegiances to our own kingdoms and to give our allegiance to King Jesus. But the question we have to ask ourselves today is this. Where is your allegiance today? This morning, in this moment, where is your allegiance Maybe for the first time, you are recognizing God at work. Maybe for the first time, he is calling you towards him, away from your sin. The question is, will you respond to him? Maybe for the first time, you are recognizing that you've been building your own kingdom. And you want to be a part of God's kingdom that will last forever. 
will you respond to? Will you respond in love and in allegiance to this God who has loved you so much? He loved you and I so much that when we were sinners, when we were far from God, when we were direct enemies of God, he sent Jesus down to this earth to live the perfect life you and I could not live. To die the death you and I deserved as enemies of God. But he raised from the dead three days later to prove he'd beaten sin and death and to prove that his kingdom is going to last forever. And listen to this church. He gives you and I the promise that if we will place our allegiance, our hope, our faith, our life in him, we get to be a part of that everlasting kingdom. Where is your allegiance today? Where is your allegiance to Jesus faltering or divided? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of his kingdom, but there are areas in your life where your allegiance is faltering or is divided. Perhaps you've been following Jesus for a time, you know you belong to him, but there are areas you are holding back from him. Maybe there are things you are holding on to because you are afraid following Jesus in a certain way, in a certain place, it may cost you relationships. It may bring shame on you from others who don't belong to Jesus. Maybe there are certain things right now you are holding on to in your life, and you're holding on to them because of the status or the security you believe that they give you, and you're not ready to lay those things down at the feet of Jesus. Will you respond in allegiance to Jesus today as a citizen of a kingdom that's lasting forever? How will you show your allegiance to King Jesus, church? Maybe you're following hard after Jesus today. And there are no particular areas in your life where God is convicting you. Maybe there's no particular areas right now where God is saying you need to lay these things down. But maybe instead there is something that God is calling you to do as a citizen of his kingdom. Will you be faithful to obey Maybe there's something in your life right now, and I don't know where every one of you in this room are at, but maybe there's something in your life right now that God is calling you to do as a follower of Jesus, and you're scared to do it. You're worried about following through. The question is, will you be faithful to obey? Will you be willing to count the cost and pay the cost? Why? Because you are a part of of a kingdom that will last forever. It's worth it. Church, and this brings us right back to where we're at with the big idea this morning. That is this, where you place your allegiance, what you give your life to, it has huge implications. It has eternal implications for your future, for your eternity. So place your allegiance, place your life in a future that is sure. Place it with Jesus, the one who's being sin and death itself, whose kingdom is established forever. Live as a part of that kingdom. Where is your allegiance this morning, church? As we close out this time, we're going um, to pray, and we're going to do something a little different this morning, okay? So normally we, we kind of pray, and then I say amen, and the good old Baptists, all the good Baptists know that's the time we stand to sing, right? Right, that's like how we understand things. But what we're going to do this morning is we want to give you some time to consider for yourself where your allegiance lies this morning.
And so what we're going to do is I'm going to offer a prayer for us as we transition to a response time. But I'm going to leave it as an open-ended prayer. Because when I stop praying out loud, I want you to start up a conversation between just you and God. And after a time of consideration, after a time of you responding internally to God, Grant's going to invite us to stand for a time of response. And when he calls us and invites us to stand for a time of response, you're going to have options. Maybe this morning you need to place your allegiance. You need to place your life with Jesus. He's calling you. He's drawing you to him. And you need to respond. And that's you when Grant invites us to stand and sing. There will be leaders down here in the front, leaders in the back who would n- love nothing more than to pray with you and to walk you through that process. Maybe there are areas where your faith, your allegiance is faltering or divided and you need to lay those down before Jesus. When we offer the time of response, uh, the altar will be open if you want to come pray. There will be leaders down front and in the back who would love nothing more than to pray with you. Or maybe your call for response this morning will be to stand and to sing like you've never sung before, recognizing recognizing that you get to be a part of a kingdom that lasts forever, is never-ending, is worthy of everything we have because we serve a king who conquers death itself. Do you need to place your allegiance with Jesus today? Are there areas where your allegiance is faltering or divided, church? How is God calling you to act right now in these next moments? Will you be faithful to respond? God, we thank you for who you are. Lord, we praise you because your son sits on a throne that lasts forever. God, we come together today worshiping you, knowing that we get to be a part of the as citizens of a never-ending kingdom. that change us? Would that shape us? And God, we pray for those here this morning who don't know you, who don't have a relationship with you, would today be the day where their allegiance changes, where they stop building their own kingdoms, but they choose to be a part of your kingdom. God, would you be glorified through this time this morning? Would your church respond as you call us to in faithful obedience?